Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Sean Casemore. Sean is the president of Casemore & Co., and he's been helping business owners empower their businesses for more than a decade. His clients come from across North America, including Vokes Furniture, Gerson & Gerson, Bellwick Packaging, and McKenna Distribution, to name a few. He's also the author of the Amazon number one new release from McGraw-Hill, entitled Operational Empowerment, Collaborate, Innovate, and Engage to Beat the Competition. Sean speaks regularly to CEOs and business owners for Tech Vistage and in the KCEO forums on topics related to improving business performance and profitability by maximizing employee, supplier, and customer empowerment. Welcome, Sean. Hey, thanks, Linda. I appreciate uh, being here. So tell me, first of all, what compelled you to write a book about operational empowerment, and what does that mean? Sure, and I'll start with your latter question. Um, you know, a lot of folks come to me and they, they see the title and they say, okay, this is a book for my operations manager. And, and I suggest that it, it's not really the, – the book itself, is it, it's been framed by many as to be a, a playbook for CEOs and executives to build kind of a stronger, more profitable business and, and one that has a distinct competitive advantage. And it talks about everything from how to build a, you know, a more effective strategy, how to build that culture of continuous improvement and in in fact, I take the idea of culture itself and, and turn that upside down and talk about how to build an organization that's built more on community than culture. So it really is more than just operations. And the idea came from, you know, I've been on my own now in corporate consulting for about seven years. And, you know, that started after a 17-year career working with all sorts of organizations from, you know, large multinationals such as Magna International to smaller family-owned businesses and, and, and everything in between. And in roles that I've had have expanded across, you know, from project management to supply chain management to operations to sales. And in every case, since the age of 23, I've been dealing with leading people. And, 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 you know, what we achieve ultimately is not a matter of what my ideas are. It's what the employees' ideas are and how effectively we execute on them. And, and it strikes me in my work today that a lot of CEOs and executives are out of touch with the front lines of their business. They really don't know exactly what's going on the front lines. And if they do, they're relying on their managers or supervisors to advise them. But each and every one of those managers and supervisors have their own filters. So every time an employee brings them a concern or an issue or an idea, any manager or supervisor filters the idea. They decide what they escalate, when they escalate it, and they're really measuring that input based on that manager's personal and professional priorities. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We all do that. But the problem is, is the information at the front lines, you know, the feedback customers are getting from, or sorry, employees are getting from their customers, or the challenges employees are having in, in being productive in their jobs, is that really filtering all, all the way up to the C-suite where they're actually making investment decisions in new technologies and new approaches? And, and in most cases, it's not. So I really wanted to write this book based on the work that I do with clients today to help CEOs and executives understand that, hey, you know, to, to make our businesses more effective, to help them grow, it's not a matter of, you know, investing in new technology. It's more listening to and creating a structure that helps us tap into the power of our people. 
I think this is so important. And, and as you know, I've written a book on, on marketing above the noise, and I talk about the fact that your employees, your, your customer-facing employees are your your uh, real, your, your conduit. I mean, they can either make you or break you, but they're your first line of defense and offense um, when it comes to, to customers. Um, and so it, it's so important that that, that culture and that, that um, community spirit, et cetera, gets all the way through to the people on the front line. So you've talked a lot about empowering the, the customer. You've written about that in, in your book and in other places as well. Tell me what you mean in today's market when you say empowering the customer, because I've heard this mean various things to various people. Sure. Well, here, here's, I guess, my uh, my bias. You know, and, and the example I can give you just happened recently. Now, it depends, obviously, on, on the business itself, but a lot of times businesses become out of touch with their customer, and there's a number of reasons for that. You know, uh, I recently decided to, to upgrade some of my services for my telecommunications. So I wanted to cancel one phone line because, you know, hey, who's using a landline these days? And I wanted to speed up my Internet. So when I called, of course, I get the frontline employee who's fielding the calls. Well, they can help me with the Internet, but they, as soon as you hear the word cancel a service, well, now I have to be escalated. And the escalation turns into another escalation. And, and meanwhile, I'm on my end of the phone, you know, at least yelling in my head, holy cow, I, I, I just want to cancel it because I'm not using it. It's nothing to do with the company. And they start to throw also, well, how about this or we'll add this and we'll, just, and we'll drop the price of your phone line just so you can keep it. And I said, look, I don't need it. Why are you doing this, right? Yeah. And, and it's really happening here. Well, yeah, it, it, exactly. They're filtering through a script, and their their goal is be off the call in X number of minutes. Their goal is keep the customer, upsell the customer. But what about listen to the customer? And what about satisfy what the customer wants? I mean, even if I do want to cancel, if that's a positive experience for me, do you think I'm going to hold something against the company? And the answer is no. And in fact, that same the same telecommunications company, when I brought them in a couple of years ago, the guys that you know I was sold on the phone to upgrade service, then they sent people in to do the work. And the, the gentleman that came to install just did a horrible job. I mean, there's scraps of wire everywhere. He didn't hook stuff up. Just a horrible experience, and I won't bore you with the details. But that said, when I got a call a couple of days later from the customer experience person, I let loose. I said, look, sorry, but you know, I know you're doing your job, but this was not a pleasant experience, and here's everything that went wrong. And by the end of the call, she turned me around. She said, you know, I'm going to give you two months of, of movies uh, at no charge. I'm going to escalate this. And there was a bunch of stuff she was going to do, and she followed up on it. And you know what? She, that one person, mm -hmm. satisfied me as a customer and helped retain me. So the empower the customer is, is kind of counterintuitive because, yes, we want to put the tools and the practices in the hands of the customer to let them steer the ship, so to speak. But it's also about allowing our employees to deal with our customers, to answer our customers' questions quickly and effectively and not have to escalate everything. So, I mean, that, you know, I'll use that example as part of my definition. So empowering the customer is really putting more power in the hands of the customer but doing so through your employees. So we're really empowering the employees as well. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's a part of that. You know, the I just did a talk um, two weeks ago for a tech group, and when we got to talking about empowering the customer, you know, I, I said, think too about how do you empower the customer? How do you know where the next investment should be? relative to whether you know how you're marketing to the to, to the customer what mm -hmm. new services or products you're offering that information should not come from you know anywhere you can get it from your customers um, and, and here's the example I share and, and it's a funny how many CEOs start writing notes madly when I share this but you know I say okay think about accounts receivable right if you look at the profile and I'm not 
you know, browbeating anybody in accounts receivable. But the profile of somebody in accounting is typically very analytical. They like numbers. And that, in some cases, can mean that they're not, you know, a bubbly, over-the-top, huggy kind of person, right? They're very data-focused, fa- right. data right. you know, get to business. Well, if accounts receivable is calling your customers, following up on past two invoices, there might be a couple things going wrong. Number one, if they haven't been trained or given a script as to how to deal with the customer, if they don't understand the impact that them having a bad day or having a bad attitude can have on the customer. You know, a lot of times we don't train them. Accounts receivable, yeah, there's the numbers, call them, they're past due. And those folks can actually ruin a customer relationship, and they don't even know it. Nobody's ever educated them relative to the impact they can have. So, you know, again, a relative to empowering the customer, it's how many employees and people do we have touching the customer that we can actually use to help us build a stronger business through our customer? Because that accounts receivable person can also ask questions. Hey, I know it's a little bit past due. I'm just curious. We do offer discounted payment terms as well as our regular net 30, is that something you'd be interested in? Some companies actually have a procedure or policy that says pay all discounts first. Right. So sure. you want to use everybody who's connecting with the customer directly and indirectly to make that customer's experience better. And then that information, as you know, Linda, can feed into marketing and business development activities because now we're building a business around what our customers actually want. Absolutely, and I love this, Sean. And and what I think is so important is is we are very good. I think most businesses are good at training the people we think are customer facing. Obviously, the salespeople, the customer support people, you know, the folks that either show up and install your, you know, your cable and make a mess out of it or not. Um, but we don't necessarily think of accounts receivable, and we don't think of you know the doorman that opens the door. We don't think of people who are going to show up and and when something breaks. They're either going to be professional or they're not. And so that's where I think sometimes um, organizations really fall down. And you talk about this employee-customer connection, and I think it, it, does that relate to this kind of making sure everyone understands what needs to happen and works towards this bigger goal? It does. It's really about, you know, does every employee understand the impact they have on the customer? Going going back to the example of accounts receivable, you know, I, I did some, some work with a company last year where they felt that, you know, the, the marketing group themselves and kind of in combination with sales felt that the rest of the company didn't support them and made their life more difficult. So we went through and just did a couple lunch and learns with a broad cross group of all sorts of employees from the IT people to the finance people, you name it, even to the, the gentleman that was actually kind of in the reception role of answering calls and and greeting people. And by the end of this, I had them share, okay, what are the takeaways? What are the things you're going to do differently that will help you add value to the customer's experience and ultimately help the company? Because during the session, we all helped everybody connect with how they impacted the customer. And I'll never forget the gentleman who actually answered the phone spoke up and said, you know, Sean, it strikes me that when somebody calls today, I see my job is answer the phone quickly. So I'm, you know, hello, can I help you? Yeah, I'll put you through. Boom, they go on the next call. And he said, but if I just push my chair back from the desk about two feet. I can see around this partial wall and I can see most of the team. Why wouldn't I take that extra 10 seconds, roll back and say, you know, Sean's not in the office right now. Would you like to go director his voicemail or is there somebody else I can patch you through? You know, and, and, and just in that simple little change, which costs nothing, by the way, right. we're starting to make a better customer experience. But, you know, what has he been told in the past? Answer calls quickly, be efficient, put them through to the voicemail as quickly as you can because here's some paperwork for you to do, right? It's just, it's counterintuitive. And if we want to help employees understand why they should help our customers, we have to help them make that connection as to how they influence the customer. I think you're absolutely right. And and what's important too is it's not a metric, get off the phone as quick as possible. It's how can I help the customer? How can I help the business? And so that's so important. 
Now, I know innovation is, is something that, that's really important. We talk about innovation so much. Um, how do you see that, that CEOs and executives can use innovation to, you know, to really drive this operational empowerment and, and grow their businesses? Well, the way I approach, I mean, in the book, I talk a little bit about innovation from the standpoint of employees. I mean, I think ultimately that the best ideas as to how to improve the customer's experience, how to improve the efficiency of the business, they're within the four walls of the business. I mean, they're in the, the minds of the employees working in the business. Problem is that for whatever reason, many of them feel they can't share those ideas. Maybe they shared something in the past and somebody kind of fluffed it off or they didn't see action on that idea. So, so many employees are trained not to share ideas. And therefore, if you want to create innovation through your employees, you really have to create an environment where you're enticing them. You know, here is our vision. Here's where we're going. How do you foresee us getting there? How, do, how can you contribute to us getting there? What do you think we need to do? I, I did a strategy retreat with a client, and this example is actually in the book um, about two, maybe two and a half, three years ago now. And just before we went into the strategy with the senior management, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and talk to some of your employees on the floor, relative, to, you know, specific to the vision and where the company's going, uh, to get some ideas of where they think it's going and what they think is necessary and what improvements they'd like to see, what creative ideas they can bring to the table. And I did that. And before we started strategy, I passed out kind of a summary of these notes. And I'll never forget, the CEO looked up at me and he said, Sean, we've been doing strategy here every three years for, you know, 15, 20 years. He said, not once have we ever asked the employees what they thought we should be looking at or considering here. You know, so that we're not tapping into our employees, which is one of the most significant costs most businesses have. They've got the ideas to take us to the next level. The other component of innovation to me, again, depending on the size of your business, is external. You know, if you think of Procter & Gamble, they've got a great model through Connect & Develop where they solicit the marketplace. If you're an inventor in your garage or you're a multinational company, here's the platform for you to pitch your idea. We're going to listen to you, and if we like it, we'll partner with you on it or potentially buy you right out of it. I have lots of gentlemen in tech groups and in Vistage who've spoken up and said, yeah, we, we followed the program. It was a little bit slow because Procter & Gamble is pretty large, but right. you know, it worked very well. So if you want innovation external to your company, start soliciting the marketplace for ideas. Start having lunch with the odd supplier to see what's going on in the market. What are they doing with your competitors? You know, Most companies I know are trying to get rid of those suppliers who keep calling them, saying, go away, I'm too busy, I don't need you right now, and that's the wrong approach. Absolutely. So in a sense, you're empowering your suppliers the way you're empowering your customers and your employees. Yeah, and, and you know, what's behind all of this? I mean, this isn't uh, – unfortunately, I'm not a, a, a scientist to any degree, and this isn't rocket science. But the whole book is about the idea that you know, behind all of these roles and titles, internal and external, it's people. And people are, are happy to share their ideas, their experiences, their knowledge, their, their even, even, even lend their hands to help things happen. But we need to tap into that. And a lot of CEOs and executives are looking more for the quick fix. You know, what's the next, next piece of technology that we need to invest in that will make the business better? And they're missing the, the most significant opportunity they have, which is their people, be it inside the business or outside the business. Got it. So, uh, so in your experience and from what you, you've seen in your, in your practice and writing about this, how does this whole empowerment help to, to differentiate companies and help them compete better in the marketplace. What's the difference you see about companies that are empowering their employees, their, uh, um, their customers, their suppliers, et cetera, versus those that don't? 
Well, you know, I guess, and this will sound, again, maybe a little bit cliche, but the companies that are following these practices, and, and they are out there, people are using them. I'm not the first, obviously, to speak about some of this. I'd like to think I am, but I'm not. Um, but the, the what's happening is these companies are, for example, having employees that actually want to show up for work. And when they show up for work, they actually want to participate, right? Wow. The, 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 yeah. If you take a look at a lot of companies today, what you'll probably even run into yourself as, you know, CEOs or executives to say, hey, we've got a culture problem. You know, we've got people who aren't, they don't, they're not motivated. There's a low morale here. The people aren't that productive. But when you start to dig around as to why that is, I mean, I do a lot of assessments around this, and, and no, they're not online electric surveys. They're actual discussions and focus groups to have more of a, a dialogue with people. And you understand what's going on. There's, there's drivers behind it, and a lot of times it's this idea that nobody listens to me. I have ideas. I want to contribute. Nobody cares. Nobody listens to me. Nobody took me up on my ideas. And so the idea that I, I write about in the book, which is building a community, and, and there are companies that are doing this very well, is how do I create this environment where people actually want to show up and contribute? The, the example I share in my book is a, is a client I've worked with for years out of New York, and we actually went through and started this whole practice, started shifting to that community approach by taking a cross-section of people and putting them into these little groups where we brainstorm ideas around problems that the company's facing. Could be internal, could be external. You know, it's kind of taken from the model of Lean, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Kaizen event. I, I've got a background in Lean, but we, I, I change it up a little bit, and it's not so structured. But the idea being they have the ideas and solutions to fix the problems, and then we empower them, make them, you know, uh, give them responsibility and hold them accountable to deliver on some of their ideas, to put them into place, and we have to give them time to do that. And then suddenly people start to feel like, wow, I, I had an idea. They let me run with it. And we actually put it into place, and it actually fixed the problem. What a novel idea. And all of a sudden, those employees, over time, you know, period of months, start to offer up more, more ideas, and they want to contribute in other ways. But it has to start with the people. So you know, the examples I give in the book are with companies who are doing this, and not well-known companies. I mean, you know, McGraw-Hill said to me, if you're going to write another book about Amazon or Google, we don't want to hear it. I mean, everybody is <laughs> sick of trying to compare themselves to that metric, not that those companies aren't doing great things. But let's be real here. A lot of companies... Companies are struggling. And so the book, although I'm sure I do reference those at some point, it's built around examples and even case studies of clients I've worked with, many of whom are, I would say, mid-market companies who are doing very well, growing rapidly, have a great community of people working for them, sharing new ideas every day that's helping them be more competitive than their, their, the companies that they're in the market against. And they're getting that feedback from their customers because ultimately that's who's going to measure your competitive advantage. That's wonderful. Thank you. And I could go on um, discussing this all day. Such a fascinating subject. But since you mentioned the book, could you tell us where people could find out more about the book and about you if they're interested? Sure. Well, I put one thing together just for, for listeners, Linda. If, if they would like to grab a free chapter, and there's no need to add your name. I'm not going to try and capture your name and start to swamp you with email. Uh, your listeners can go to casemoreandco.com. So it's C-A-S-E-M-O-R-E-A-N-D-C-O forward slash free dash chapter. Casemoreandco.com forward slash free dash chapter. They can grab a PDF of, the, uh, of a free chapter, read it for themselves. I think they'll find it's, it's great. And if they want further resources, there'll be a way there they can get a hold of them. Obviously, they can connect with me. I'm on most of the, the social media platforms under my name. So you can find me on Twitter at Sean Casemore. LinkedIn is Sean Casemore. And of course, back to my website again at casemoreandco.com.
Fantastic. Thank you. We've been chatting with Sean Casemore, talking about operational empowerment. Thank you, Sean. This has been wonderful. Thanks, Linda. I appreciate the, uh, your time. It's been fantastic. Okay, this is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.